Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson continues his four-part series titled Stories with part three, Victorious. We all encounter the negative. Those things can potentially rock our world. The key to victory over the negative is to bring God into it. The story of David and Goliath gives us insight into how to do that. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1 begins, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Zoko in Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp, and he was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's about 15 pounds, just a little spear point. Verse eight, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So here's the scene. You've got the Philistine army here on one hill. You've got the Israelite army over here on another hill. You have a valley in between. So for 40 days, Goliath came down that valley, approached the hill where the Israelites were, and he just started to trash talk. He started to talk about the army, about his God, the, the God, just challenging, just saying all kinds of stuff to him. And it was so intimidating that it says the entire army, we're talking about fighting men, they are terrified and they're dismayed at what this giant is saying and what he's doing. Now, it's understandable because one, it says Goliath's the champion. So he's the world champion. And there's been obvious other fights. And so his victories have become known throughout the land. So the Israelite army, they know what Goliath's been doing. But secondly, he's huge. He's over nine feet tall. I don't know if anybody remembers Andre the Giant. He was a professional wrestler. He was huge, even for professional wrestler standards. He was, I think, 7'4 and weighed 520 pounds. He would look like a shrimp compared to Goliath. He would look like a little kid because Goliath is so massive. So it's understandable why the Israelite army is afraid and terrified of Goliath. When you get to verse 12, we see where David comes on the scene. Now, David has been out shepherding his father's flock. And so uh, David has three of his older brothers are actually in the army. And so their father says, I want you to go take some food to your brothers. I want you to check on them. And basically, would you bring some assurance back to me that they're okay? So while David is doing that, just running the errand for his father, he sees Goliath and he sees what Goliath is doing and he overhears what Goliath is saying and something rises up within him. He just couldn't let it go. And so in verse 32, it says, David said to Saul, 
let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So here we see David encountering Goliath. It's an unexpected encounter. David didn't go there to start a war. He didn't go there to fight anybody. He was just running an errand for his father. But in the midst of this, here comes Goliath, and here comes this giant trash-talking his God and his people. So he had a choice. He actually had three choices. When he heard that, he could have decided to fake it. In other words, just act like nothing's going on. Just ignore him and act like Goliath's not even there. Or he could fear it. And again, he could become terrified with the rest of the army and not want to address it. Or three, he could decide to face it and to fight it. And that's what David decides to do. He decides to look at this giant and face it and fight it. I want you to keep that story in the back of your mind for just a moment. And I want you to hear another story from a River Fellowship member, Carrie Brock. If you are listening to this podcast from our Facebook link or our website, please look below and you will find the video attached. Carrie encounters a different kind of Goliath, um, but she had the same choice. She could have chose to fake it and act like nothing was wrong until it consumes her. She could fear it and again, not do anything and it overtake her, but she chose to face it and to fight it. But in her testimony, she says something uh, that really struck me when I listened to it. And it's really what I want to kind of build the rest of this time together on. It's the word of encouragement she received in a conference. It was this, bring God into your negative. The key is to bring God into your negative. What a great principle and practice that is. The definition of negative, it can be a variety of things. It could be that obstacle. It could be that thing that's very bad, very undesirable that comes into your life. It could be that something that potentially can rock your world. It's that thing that comes into your life that can rattle you, that can grip you, that might could even destroy you if it's left unaddressed and unattended. David's negative was Goliath. Carrie's negative was cancer. Do you have a negative this morning? Is there something in your life that is gripping you, that is rattling you, that could potentially rock your world? There's a variety of negatives that enter our world. It could be fear, anxiety, pain, grief, loss. Maybe it's loneliness, depression, addiction. Maybe it's rebellious children. Maybe it's a wayward spouse. Maybe it's chronic health issues. Maybe it's career financial uh, disappointments or ruin. It could be a variety of things. But we, when we encounter those negative things that come into our life, we have the same choice that David and Carrie have. We can fake it and act like nothing's wrong, that nothing has come into our life and let it overcome us. We can fear it and again, let it overcome us, or we can make the decision to face it and fight it. Most importantly, what we need to do is ask God to come into our negative, to invite him into our negative. Here's the truth for this morning. Victory over the negative comes when we bring God into the negative, whatever that is for you. So if that's the truth, how do we do that? How do we bring God into those negative situations 
that are rocking our world, potentially could rock our world. I want you to remember three words. We'll just build it around three words this morning. And the first one is the word foundation. It's all about your foundation. Look in verse 45. Here, David is, <clears throat> is prepped. Uh, he's armed himself, and he's ready to fight Goliath. And he goes out there, and in verse 45, it says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beast of the earth. Now that's some serious trash talk right there. That's some pretty graphic stuff. But the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Here we see David's foundation is God. He is standing on the word of God. He's standing on the name of God. He's standing on the power of God. He's standing on the faithfulness of God. He's standing on God's ability to save. When I think about this concept of foundation, it reminds me to go back to Matthew chapter 7. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is speaking, and he talks about foundations. In verse 24, this is what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had at its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is helping us identify that basically there's only two kinds of foundations, good ones and bad ones. Ones that will hold and those that won't. Those that will provide the security and the stability that we need for our life and those that don't. And Jesus even named these foundations. He called them a rocky foundation and a sandy foundation. So let me illustrate a little bit about this concept of foundation. To do that, we have to have another episode of um, low-budget theater. But let me talk just a few minutes here about this whole concept of the foundations. To help me out, I do have two volunteers. I have Sandy and Rocky. They are twins, if you wanted to know. But the passage is saying that there are two kinds of foundations. And here, I don't know if you can see real well, I've got sand here. So this is my sandy foundation that we're gonna build, and we're gonna put Sandy on top of it. And here I've got my rock and my rocky foundation, so we'll just put rocky on top of that. Now, on these two foundations, it appears that they're equal. They're both able to hold our volunteer. So they look the same until what? Until the storm comes and the stream, streams rise and it begins to fall down. That's what happens on the sandy soil. But on this, if you bring the same storm, the same negative in the same water, what happens? Well, he stays strong. Why? Because of his foundation. 
Now, it looks very simple, doesn't it? It looks very obvious. But here's the point of what Jesus is trying to tell us. We have a choice. We can build our life on a sandy foundation. And it may seem fine, it may seem adequate until the negative comes into your life and it doesn't hold. Or you can build your life on the rock and it will hold. Now, there are a variety of different kinds of sandy foundations that many people try to build their life on. Some people build their life on opinion. It's what they think. And my foundation is what I think. What I think is right and wrong. What I think is good and bad. What I think is moral and immoral. What I think works and doesn't work. What I think I should do and shouldn't do. Everything my life is founded on is just what I think. Now, I may get that opinion from a variety of sources. The bottom line is, it's what I think, and that's the foundation of my life. Other people build their foundation on emotion. It's what I feel. If I feel happy, I do X. If I feel sad, I do Y. If I feel angry, I do Z. It's all based on my emotion. Now, I think all of us understand how um, unstable that is because we are all very emotional and our emotions change. Some people base their foundation on their experience. What I've done, good or bad. This one really um, affects, I think, believers in a significant way because there are many who build their foundation on spiritual experiences, on mountaintop experiences, on spiritual highs. It's like that Mount of Transfiguration where they want to pitch a tent and just stay up there. You can't stay up there. And so if we build our life on these spiritual highs, when those highs are removed, what happens to our foundation? Some people build their foundation on their possessions. It's what I have. And they think the more I have, the more secure I am. And so they build their life to gather more possessions. Now, here's the deal. We could continue to talk about these. We go all the way up to the ceiling with different sandy foundations. There are probably hundreds of different types of sandy foundations that different people will try to build their life on to have the foundation that will hold them and stabilize them and give them the security that they need for, the, for their life. But the problem is every one of those are sandy foundations. And when the streams come, when the wind blows, when the negative approaches us, it will not sustain there's only one sure foundation, and that's God. That's God alone, his word, his truth. He is the only sure foundation. There's only one foundation, and it's the rock of ages. That old hymn that we sing that is so great, on Christ alone I stand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. What? All other ground is sinking sand. 2 Timothy 2.19 says that God's foundation stands firm. So what we're talking about here is when the negative comes, whatever that earth-shattering negative is, the key to bringing God into that is allowing God to be the foundation of your life. So when that negative comes, you have the firm foundation and it does not rock your world. So that's the first, first word, foundation. Here's the second one. Faith. Second word's faith. Look in verse 34. Here, David is trying to convince Saul to let him fight Goliath. Now, this is important because you have to understand Saul's perspective. Goliath already said if, if the Israelites lose, 
then they're going to be servants and slaves to the Philistines. So Saul, at this point, has, has not really seen David fight. He doesn't really understand. He knows Goliath's a champion, so Saul's reluctant to let David come fight. So David's having to try to convince Saul, and that's what we see in verse 34. It says, David says to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of, a God, of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. Here what we see with David is he's not trusting his fighting ability. He's not trusting in his weaponry. He's not trusting in the rest of the army. He's trusting in one source, and that's the power of God. All of his faith is in God. And one reason he can trust that is because God has proven his faithfulness over and over and over. And so he knows God's going to prove faithful in this as well. Isaiah 33, 6 says that God will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and understanding. And the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. It's a great word picture. What he's saying is God has a rich store. That literally means a, a treasure, a, a stored treasure. So God has this stored treasure of all that he is, all that he has, all of his wisdom, all of his glory, his power, et cetera, et cetera. It's in this treasure, but there's a lot there. But the fear of the Lord, or translated, is faith. Faith in the Lord. Faith is the key that unlocks that stored treasure chest that releases all of God's wisdom and power and grace and all that he has for us. So what it's trying to say here is faith is that key that unlocks it. So faith is inviting God into your negative. When we say, God, I have this earth-shattering thing happening, whatever it is in my life, my Goliath, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to thank you, and I'm going to invite you, and I'm going to rely upon you in the midst of this. That's the key that unlocks God and invites him into that negative and allows him to work and do his thing. That brings us to the third word, and that's fight. We bring God into our negative because of our foundation, our faith, but also our fight. Look in verse 40. This is when David has tried on Saul's armor, and it just didn't work, and so he has to take it off. In fact, the, the last part of verse 39 David says, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. In verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and then with his sling in his hand, he approaches the Philistine. So he gets these stones, he puts them in his bag, and here he goes. He's ready to fight. There's been a, a, a debate, a question, um, people surmising, theologians over the years, want to know why David picked up five stones. And it's a problem for some people, I guess. But they, we, don't, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. So a lot of theologians, in my opinion, just kind of made up stuff. Some of them say, well, he was afraid he was going to miss. So he needed some extras. 
Some say that he has four brothers, and so he was going to kill Goliath, and he was going to go after his four brothers. Some say his bag, he could only hold five rocks. So he filled up his bag, and that's all he could put in his bag. And there are, there are other theories out there, but it's really just people kind of making up stuff. So if that's the case, I'm going to make up a reason too. <laughs> and here's what I think. I think it's because he said, I'm going to fight until the victory's won. I'm going to keep coming until it's done. I'm going to hit him with the first stone, and if that doesn't do the job, I'm going to pull out the second and hit him with the second stone. If that doesn't do the job, I'm pulling out the third stone, and I'm, hitting him with, and I'm going to keep hitting him until he's done, until he's down, until he's dead. He was going to fight until the victory was won. He was not going to let his giant, his negative, defeat him. So he was going to keep coming until it was done. But what's interesting is it only took one stone. Romans 8.37 says, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That phrase, more than conquerors, is another great word picture. It literally means to rout, to overwhelm, to completely annihilate. Some of you may remember the, the original dream team, basketball team, the 1992 Olympics, which featured players like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, the greatest of the great still today. Not only did they not lose a game, nobody figured they would lose a game, but what's interesting is the average win margin was 44 points. They won their games by an average of 44 points. So when the team came up against the dream team, they weren't thinking about, am I going to win? They knew they were going to lose. They were just wondering, how bad are we going to lose? <laughs> In 1916, Georgia Tech engineers played Cumberland College Bulldogs in a football game. Georgia Tech engineers beat them 222 to zero. I don't even know how you score 222 points in a football game. Cumberland had one play with positive yardage. They only had to play to meet a contract. But here's the point. That is complete annihilation. That's what this word is in Romans. He makes us more than conquerors. When he's our foundation, when he's our faith, when we are fighting in his power, in his strength, with his weaponry, when we call him into our negative, he overwhelms and annihilates our negative. It's no match. There's no fight. It takes one stone, and he can annihilate that enemy. I want to end with one last story. It's from Acts chapter 16. And in the story, Paul and Silas are in prison. And the reason they're in prison is because they've been sharing Christ. They've been told not to, so they've been arrested because they share Christ. So now they are in prison. The, the prison doors are shut and locked. They are in chains, hands, wrists, and feet. But the passage there says that they are praying and they are singing hymns. They're worshiping. It's what we said last week. Worshiping in the midst of your storm 
is what gives you the power to weather the storm. They are in the midst of their storm. They are in the midst of their negative, but they are praying and they are worshiping and they are singing. And as a result, in verse 26, it says that suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Here they are in the midst of their negative, but in the midst of their negative, they've invited God into their negative and they're worshiping and they're praying and they're singing. And all of a sudden, the prison begins to shake. The doors fly open and all the chains are loose and they're set free from the negative. Let me ask you a question this morning. Anybody here need the chains loosed? Anybody here this morning in prison and you need the doors swung open? Anybody here this morning feel like you're held in bondage, you're held in captivity, you're held in prison by this negative that's overwhelming you and it's chaining you together? Anybody needs to be loosed. Here's the good news of the story. You keep fighting until the prison that you're captivated in is shaken in its foundation and you're set free. Your negative does not have to overcome you. It will if you try to fake it. It will if you fear it. But it won't if you face it and you invite God into it and allow him to be your foundation You put all of your faith in him and in the power of almighty God, you say, I'm going to fight it until I finish it and prove that we're more than conquerors because of the God that we serve. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.